Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. I hurt my hip. And I would tell you that I did it swinging a golf club, but I'm afraid you wouldn't pray for me if I told you that. (laughs) I'd like for you to open your Bibles... To Galatians, Galatians 5.1. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, no longer slaves. No longer slaves. Now I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that Galatians 5.1 is one of the great passages of Scripture. One of the greatest verses you'll find in the New Testament. It's one of those verses that you should have on your wall somewhere at your home or maybe on your desk or maybe on your bathroom mirror or at least highlighted in your Bible so that you can turn back to it over and over again. Now, it's beautiful in any translation, but my favorite is the NIV. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again. By a yoke of slavery. Now. This one verse. Speaks volumes. For. To all of us. You see we were slaves. Child of God. Hear me well today. We were slaves to sin. But through Christ Jesus, we have been liberated. We have been set free. We've been made new creatures in Christ. He set us free. And He didn't just set us free for a moment. He set us free so that we could live our entire lives in freedom. And then we are admonished in the verse to stand firm in that freedom. Don't allow yourself to go back under the bondage and the yoke of slavery. Now, if there's anything negative in this verse, it's this. I don't like to think about this, but I know it's true. This verse tells us that we can be Christians and we can be liberated in Christ. But if we are not careful, we will begin to slip back under the yoke and the burden of slavery. And the Bible says not to do that. It says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're to stand firm in our faith. And we're to stand firm in that freedom. Now, I pray the message today will be a tremendous source of encouragement to you as a Christian. 
And I also pray that it will be a source of encouragement to anybody in the house who might be thinking about becoming a Christian. Now, if you're visiting with us today, you may not be aware of this. The rest of us know this. There's a song that this church loves. We sing it often. It's called No Longer Slaves. Uh, Listen to some of the lyrics. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're the sons and the daughters. Let us sing our freedom. You rescued me, and I will stand and sing. Read this with me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. One more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Wow. You know, freedom is one of the major themes in the Bible. I I pick six verses out that I want us to read together. And all of these verses are about freedom. And I wanted us to read these together and hear the words ringing in the house as we celebrate this thing called freedom that's ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Read with me. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now friends, I want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with formality, there's nothing wrong with pomp and pageantry and display, Uh, There's nothing wrong uh, in necessarily any form of worship. But I can tell you this, friends. I don't care where you go to church. I don't care uh, where you are or what the denomination is. If Jesus Christ is there and the Spirit of the Lord is there, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is a sense of freedom. Uh, You may say, Pastor, describe that freedom for me. I can't do it. I can't define it, but I know there is something liberating. There is a freedom when you're in the presence of the Lord. John 8, 36, read this with me. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, when Christ sets us free, it's a deep sense of freedom. It's an amazing freedom. Galatians 5, 13, let's read that together. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, it's not just a freedom to worship. It's a freedom to do everything that God has called us to do. It's a freedom to pray for one another. I want to tell you, you've noticed that we do this in the church. We did it today. We anoint people with oil and we have We pray for them. Any church, and I'm talking about us now, any church that's so formal that it can't take time to pray for those in need, to do what the Bible says, is too formal. We, You have to minister. We minister to one another. And we do it through love. And that's one of the things that we are set free to do, is to truly love and care for one another. Romans 6.22, read this with me. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Now that's good stuff, isn't it? You you see, it says that we've been set free from sin, we've been liberated, and it says at the same time, we've become slaves to God. Now what does that mean? That means that we are free from the bondage and the slavery and the imprisonment of the world and all the deception that the world sends our way. We are free to live holy lives, good lives, pure lives, wholesome lives that bring honor and glory to God. We go from being slaves to sin to slaves to God. And trust me, when you're a slave to God, that's more freedom than you can even imagine. And then uh, two more. 1 Peter 2.16, read it with me. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. That's how we're to live. We're to live as free people. We've been set free. And then I say my favorite one to last, Luke 4, 18. Read this with me. Jesus said these words now. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Wow! Wow! Maybe we should just stop right here and have a little shouting service. Those who are in prison get released. That's right. Those who are oppressed are set free. Listen, when you take all of these verses and you try to wrap your brain around just these six verses, and there are dozens of these in the Bible, it's almost too much to comprehend. You see, our Lord has called us to salvation and for freedom. And when He sets us free, He does an amazing and deep and wonderful and radical work in our lives. He sets us free. And to walk with Christ is to walk in freedom. I I hear people talk about the burden of the Lord. Well, friends, I want you to know that um, if you're not careful, you're going to get over into something that's not biblical because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden of the Lord is not heavy. The burden of the Lord is light. To walk with the Lord is to walk in freedom. And, and, And then, we are to live as free people. According to these scriptures, sin, the world, evil in the world, can no longer hold us captive. It cannot hold us in bondage. It it can't do it. Uh, uh, If you're in bondage, if you're a child of God now, if you've been genuinely born again, and you're in any kind of bondage right now, and we all have a tendency to slip into things, if you're in any kind of bondage, here's what I want to tell you. The door to that cell is not closed. Jesus has already opened that door. And I'm not saying it's easy, but you can get up and walk out of that bondage through faith in Jesus Christ and through the authority of God which resides in you. My wife tells me every now and then I shouldn't tell some of these stories, but when I was young, 
I got arrested one time in Wakulla County. I'm not about to tell you why they arrested me. But Sheriff Bill Taft, and when I say the old jail, I'm not talking about the one behind the courthouse. I'm talking about the old block jail, the old historic jail. It's bad, it's bad when you were once an inmate in the historical jail. <laughs> they took me in and fingerprinted me. And Sheriff Bill Taft put me in jail. I was scared to death. And when he put me in that jail cell... So help me, I, I looked at him kind of sheepishly. He'd known me my whole life. I said, are you going to shut that door? <laughs> he said, no, I don't guess so. So I was in jail for a couple hours, but they never did shut the door. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts or not. It counts. <laughs> it counts. Hey. I was scared to death and the door was open. I can't imagine what it would have been like had the door been closed. Friends, I'm going to tell you, whatever cell the enemy has you in, whatever bondage he has you in, whatever he's got you in right now, I'm telling you by the authority of Jesus Christ and by the Word of God that He came to set you free to live in freedom and the door is open. Jesus said, I came to open prison doors to set the oppressed free. I, I just want to ask you, isn't it time that we take seriously what God's Word says? Isn't it time that we get up and walk out of anything and everything that hinders our spiritual growth? Isn't it time that we declare our freedom in Jesus' name? There's a beautiful story in the Bible that you may have overlooked. I know I did for years. It's the story of a slave who got saved and then was set free and then became a great servant of God and the early church. If you know his name, you're pretty good at Bible trivia. His name was, anybody? Onesimus. Onesimus. I had a guy in my church, he used to call him Onesimus. <laughs> but it <laughs> kind of looks that way when you see it. Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave in the house of Philemon. And what Onesimus did was this. He stole, we're not really sure what he took, but he took some money or maybe silver or gold or wealth or some type of uh, something valuable. He stole from his master Philemon and he ran away. He was a runaway slave. And what he did was he went to Rome. Now Rome was the most logical place for a runaway slave to go. And the reason why was because if you wanted to, to, to get lost in the crowd, if you wanted to blend in, if you didn't want anybody to recognize you, you'd go to Rome because during the time of the Bible, there was three million 
slaves in Rome. So Onesimus went to Rome. Ran away from Philemon. Stole whatever he got. We don't know what it was. And he went to Rome. But what Onesimus did not know was there was a divine appointment waiting for him. There was a man of God in Rome at that time. By the way, in chains, he was also a prisoner. But he was allowed to live in his own home with a guard. And that man was Paul, the Apostle Paul. And God had a divine appointment between the great Apostle Paul and a runaway slave who stole from his master. And when Paul met Onesimus, he did exactly what you would think he would do. He shared Christ with him, and Onesimus had a born-again experience. And he led him to Christ. And then Onesimus did something that I think all of us have to do to some extent, and that is we don't live in the past, and we put the past behind us. But Onesimus got honest about who he was, where he'd come from, what his life was all about. And he tells the Apostle Paul that he was a slave, that he stole from his master, that he ran away from home. And and then he tells Paul that he was a slave in the house of Philemon. Now here's where it gets interesting in the story. And that is that Paul had led Philemon, the master now, to the Lord on one of his missionary journeys. So here Paul is, he's led this slave to the Lord. And he finds out that he's the slave of a master that Paul had led to the Lord. And uh, so, boy, this sets up a, a real beautiful story. Onesimus was with Paul for some time. We don't know how long, but he stayed with him. Obviously, Paul mentored him and taught him the Word of God and taught him the things uh, of Scripture. And then one day, Paul says to Onesimus, you've got to go home. And I can only imagine what Onesimus thought. Go home? Go back to Philemon? I'll be punished or maybe even killed according to, to the law in that day. A slave could be punished or killed for running away. And Paul said, you got to go back. And he said, I can't go back. Now I'm ad-libbing a little bit, but you'll find all this in the Bible if you look. He said, you got to go back. But Paul lets him know there's nothing to worry about because you will not go back empty-handed. When you go back, you'll have a letter in your hand. I'll write a letter, and you'll give that letter to Philemon, and that letter will be your salvation Now here's the wonderful thing about this, and I hope you'll read it for yourself before the day is out. We actually have word for word the letter that Paul wrote, put in the hands of Onesimus, and sent back to Philemon. It's called the book of Philemon. And and we we have the letter. Let let me just read a few verses to you from uh, Philemon. Verse 10 says, this is Paul now writing the letter that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul was saying, he became my son. I led him to Christ here in Rome, in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useless, uh, useful both to you and to me. Paul says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Paul had fallen in love with Onesimus. 
He'd become a close brother. When writing to the Colossian church, the Apostle Paul called him a faithful and beloved brother in Christ. Verse 15 says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave. Say, no longer as a slave. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Verse 17, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I'll pay you back whatever he owes you, but don't forget you owe me your very life. This is good stuff, isn't it? Man! Wow! There's, if you don't mind me being just a little bit dramatic... I don't know why I'd say that. I'm dramatic every Sunday, aren't I? Onesimus spends time with the Apostle Paul, gets saved, spends time with him, carries a letter back with him, and he goes back to the house of Philemon, where he should be punished. He should be put to death according to the law. And humbly he bows and kneels before Philemon and he holds out a letter, a letter of salvation, a letter that will change his future. And I can only imagine what was going on in the mind of Philemon. But he takes the letter and do you know what the first line in the letter says? The first line, go back and read it for yourself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. When Philemon reads this letter, the first thing he realizes is, this is Paul. This is the guy that led me to Christ. Now, you, you can, I can only imagine in my mind the unexpected happens rather than this slave receiving judgment and condemnation and wrath and punishment. He receives grace and mercy and love. And without a doubt, there are tears with both of these guys. Uh, if there's a recording in heaven of everything that's ever gone on on earth, I want to check this one out. I want to see this very scene. I can only imagine that, that Philemon, the master, and Onesimus, the slave, embraced. It changed everything. In fact, I've thought about this. I would imagine that Philemon was saying something like this to Onesimus. You've been with Paul these two years? Tell me about Paul. Tell me what he taught you. Share with me what's happened in your own life. Oh, friends, this is a beautiful story. And, and I have to tell you that I see myself in this story. I see myself one day standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all flesh. I see myself humbly bowing, holding out my only hope, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
trusting in him, knowing that my hope is built on nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, it's a little short letter, but we know it ended well. We know it ended well, and I'll I'll tell you why. And and this is pretty amazing. You've got to do some research to find this. But in some historical writings, we're told that Paul eventually consecrated Onesimus to be a bishop of Berea in Macedonia. And Ignatius, one of the early Christian fathers, speaks of Onesimus as being a bishop, one of the bishops of the Ephesians. And finally, we're told in the apostolic constitutions that the early church, that this is something the early church had, that Onesimus was martyred for his faith in Rome. Now, take a journey with me real quick. uh, Born a slave, rebels against his master, steals from his master, runs to Rome, has a divine appointment, has a genuine salvation experience, voluntarily returns to his master. Now, Paul sent him back, but he voluntarily returned. He voluntarily returns. Obviously, Philemon gave him his freedom. He became a faithful brother of Christ and a servant of the Lord. He was ordained as a bishop to serve the churches and finally martyred in Rome. A Christian martyr. Wow. What a story. What an amazing story. Now, I ask you, why do you think that's in the Bible? Why would that story even, why would such a personal story be in the Bible? I'll tell you. Because it's my story. And it's your story. That's our story. Born into a fallen world. We didn't choose that. We were born into a fallen world. We are slaves to sin. We, we have a rebellious nature. By the way, I I tease sometimes, the devil doesn't have Sunday school classes around this county teaching kids how to act ugly. Does he? No, we're born knowing how to act ugly, aren't we? By nature, we are rebellious. Running everywhere trying to find answers, deserving death and judgment. And then one day, by the glory of God, by the providence of God, we find Christ. Or better yet, He finds us. And then He sets us free. And then we serve Him for the rest of our lives in whatever capacity He has for us. Uh, we, we move from being slaves to being free. And then we spend the rest of our lives testifying the goodness of God. You see, that's my story. That's your story. Fill in the personal details and that's your story. That's what God has done for us. The Lord came to set us free. I I want you to hear a testimony from a modern day Onesimus. That's how we'll close the service.
Here you go, brother. Well, good morning. <laughs> the older I get, the more I just want to glorify God. And if being up here can glorify God, I just pray. Let's pray right now. Will y'all pray for me? Because I am nervous. <laughs> Thought about running out the door, but I want to glorify Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I thank you for the work that you've done in my life. So somehow, some way, I ask that you'll help me to glorify your name this morning. Lord, you have set me free. And I ask that you'll glorify yourself in my testimony today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Henry asked me would I share my story. And, of course, it's my story, and it's always precious to me. And the more I think about it the last couple of days, especially this morning, just it's hard to do it without being emotional. So, And I'm not an emotional man, so <laughs> y'all bear with me. But I... I for a disclaimer real quick, I don't want to discredit the people that took care of me as my youth, but I do have to be honest to how I was brought up. So in saying that, they were awesome, but they had some flaws just like I had flaws. So I'm going to start with I was born into a life of sin. Uh, my parents got divorced. I think my brother's 18 months older than me. They had gotten divorced. He wound up living with my grandfather and grandmother. They had six kids of their own. And uh, later on in life, I found out they weren't sure if I was my dad's son or not. But long story short, I think they said I was about six months old. My mother stopped by and dropped me off to go to a job interview. And she never did come back. So I was living in a house with my grandparents when my older brother still had several of the other kids, which were, I'm going to tell my age now, was raised in the 60s. So they had six kids, probably three still at the house. My grandfather was a great man, but he was an alcoholic. He struggled with alcohol, produced three of his sons, both struggled with alcohol. So our house was pretty dysfunctional. On a Friday night, you didn't have to watch late-night wrestling or anything like that. You had all the entertainment you needed. If you, <laughs> if you grew up in a house like that, you know what I mean. There was a lot of heavy-duty stuff going on at times around the Perez house. I was probably, in my formal years, coming up, my grandmother was my only security. My grandfather, he worked a lot. Like I said, he was an alcoholic. He was gone a lot. He'd come home late at night. It was just me and my brother and my grandmother a lot when the older siblings had moved out. And long story short, she was the only security and safety that I knew. I tell Cynthia this a lot of times. She used to wear this big dress, and when things would get so chaotic, I could run to her and get in that dress and somehow spin myself around and be right there by her leg, and that was the absolute safest place on earth, no matter what was going on. But I was about 10 years old. We were eating supper one night at the dinner table. <clears throat> Me and my brother and my grandfather and some stuff was going on, and she stood up and uh, grabbed her neck. She said, oh, my God, my neck, Pappy, my neck. That was my grandfather's name, and fell out on the floor. Little did I know, at 10 years old, she was having a massive stroke. We got her into the bed. She called me and my brother into the bedroom back then. I think it took 45 minutes for the ambulance to get there, but she comforted me and my brother. She kept telling us, take care of your grandfather. Evidently, she knew what was going to happen, and she was strong enough. She made it all the way to the ambulance, and I think she was about five minutes in there before she passed away. So I tell that story to say that's when I kind of shut down, about 10 or 11 years old. I think that was just my, in school, they kept trying, putting different labels on me, this and that, and all kinds of struggles that I was having with reading and whatever you name across the board. But I know in my heart I was just devastated. And I, was, I began, even at 11 years old, probably to self-medicate, and I won't get into a lot of details on that. There was a lot of drugs and alcohol prevalent in my house, so it was very easy, accessible. So by the age of 13, I look at our kids nowadays, I think, man, where I was at 13 and where these guys are, praise God they're not there. Amen? So at 13, it was pretty, 
pretty heavy duty on by that time. So my grandfather, he tried very hard to raise me and my brother. It didn't work out for about a year, so we wound up moving in with an aunt of mine uh, over here in Tallahassee, which was a blessing, at about 13. Long story short, we lived with her for about two years, so I was 15 years old. I come home one day, and they, she told me that they were going to get a divorce. She was going to move to Tampa. My uncle was going to move to St. George Island, and I could pick which one I wanted to go. <clears throat> I decided I didn't want to go either one. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to move into the fish house in St. Mark's. So I moved in with a buddy of mine, Gene Cutches. I wish he was here because he was very formable. He lived at Wakula Station, and he teases me because I would misbehave at his house. He said I was like a greased BB. When he put too much pressure on me, I'd shoot back down to the fish house. <laughs> so anyhow, by the age of 15, I was in bondage. I think what started with self-medicating and trying to do different things, experimenting what you think's fun and all the entertainment and all the stuff, I was deep into it by 15 16, 17, tried to quit many times, and went into a, a failed marriage, and anyhow, I went through 15 years of the bondage that Henry's talking about. And I won't even get into all the bondage, but it was hard, long, and, and it was terrible. But uh, I think I was almost 30 years old. I finally got to evaluate my life. I wanted to be a better father. I wanted all kinds of stuff, but I couldn't do it. I'll tell you, to be honest with you, I was the worst quitter I ever met. I would quit for three or four days. <laughs> Then I'd catch myself right back in the same thing that I would quit, and I would swear I'd never go back and do it again. Next thing you know, the next weekend would roll around. It was just this crazy, vicious cycle of being in bondage to sin. <clears throat> this is where it gets a little interesting. I'm going to try to uh, not reveal some names just for the sake of their sake. But uh, anyhow, a good friend of mine, we rolled drinking and running buddies. He wound up, he was in bondage, and he wound up very depressed and it, he kept calling and was threatening to kill himself, to be honest with you. So I called his brother. I said, man, we got to get together and figure this out. We got to figure out how to take care of him. It's just a mess. So we did as all wise drunks do. We all gathered up in a house on the Choppy River and began to discuss how we were going to straighten this fella out. <laughs> in the meantime, his wife had gotten radically saved and started going to this place called Brownsville and going all over. And God was doing all kinds of stuff, and it was... She was right in the mix of this whole thing. So we're about 12 hours into this party on the Sopchoppy River, sitting in the living room of that house, and my buddy came up with a brainstorm. He said, what we'll do is we'll get us enough beer to put on the boat so we could trick him into going fishing. Because if we get him offshore, then he can't swim away from us, and then we'll just go ahead and tell him just how messed up he is. <clears throat> of course, I thought that was a great decision. <clears throat> So we're planning it all out, and I'll never forget. Now, I'm telling you, we were, I won't get into all the details, but it was not good. His wife was there the whole time, and she finally looked over at us, and she said, how in the world are y'all playing all straightening him out when you can't even straighten yourself out? And somehow the Holy Spirit used that, and it just hit me right dead in the heart, and I began to ask myself, she's exactly right. <laughs> the only difference between me and him, I'm not threatening to kill myself. I'm in just as much bondage. And all the stuff that he's going through, and I don't know how to fix myself. But we carried on our original plan for a while, and she began to talk a little bit more. She began to talk about Jesus. We listened some. And anyhow, I decided I'd leave my truck at the cabin, ride with them to their house. We'd get up early in the morning to go fishing. She's still telling me about Jesus. And I finally said, I'll tell you the truth. I have tried and tried and tried to quit, and I have never been able to. I have went through years of trying to do this and trying to do this, and nothing has worked. 
And she says, well, I'm telling you, this will work. So I'm riding down the road from Sop Choppy. She says, I'm going to take you to my preacher's house. <laughs> By this time, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, I think. I said, well, let's do it. <laughs> so we pull in the driveway of none other than Henry Jones in Sop Choppy, Florida, <clears throat> at 2 o'clock in the morning. I think she called him on the phone. And she said, and I remember Henry saying, well, that's good. You got Scooter Perez. That's awesome. Bring him to church on Sunday. And she says, no, I'm telling you, we're in the driveway. (laughs) Thank God Henry got up and made a pot of coffee, and he invited us into that house. And I'm just going to tell you, we walked into that house and sat down at his table. He did shove a lot of coffee down me, I think. But I'm telling you, he began to speak to me. And for the first time, he began to build some hope and some peace and all the stuff that was missing in my life. And I remember through the haze of the drug and the alcohol, somehow that the Holy Spirit got through and was penetrating my heart. He began to share with me the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it landed in my heart. I was not a very emotional man. And a matter of fact, we were brought up, my grandfather had a wonderful saying, if do you have something? If you need something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> you were not allowed to cry in the Perez house. And I wept and I wept for hours. But that night at, at Henry's kitchen table, when I prayed and asked the Lord to come into my heart, I'm telling you, He came into my heart and He changed my life forever. And I got back into that car with these people and went to their house. The plan was still to go to their house. I went to their house. I may have slept an hour, maybe, maybe an hour and a half. I think it's important to say I woke up and called a friend of mine. I didn't know what had happened to me. But I said, you have got to come get me. (laughs) I canceled my fishing trip. And I think sometimes in life we have to cancel those fishing trips if you get my drift. And anyhow, he came, picked me up, took me to my house. I didn't know what was going on, didn't know what to do. I knew something had changed in my life. And then all of a sudden the enemy began to speak to me. You are at the preacher's house. At 3 o'clock in the morning. You are an idiot. (laughs) And I had made this preacher a promise. When I walked out that door, he said, I have stayed up with you for hours. I have ministered to you and I have led you to the Lord. You will come to church on Sunday. And you will walk down that aisle. And you will confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I shook his hand and said, I'll do it. (sighs) On Saturday, I was regretting that. (laughs) And can I just say, the enemy didn't give up without a fight. I mean, I had more calls. Things were going together on that Saturday. I literally had to hide behind my couch. I had some friends come over and drink that evening. Didn't want nothing to do with none of it because he had changed the heart, my heart and my desires instantaneously like that. So, uh, anyhow, I made it through Saturday night. Sunday morning rolls around. I'm just as nervous as I am right now. (laughs) I go down to that church and stop chopping by myself, not knowing anybody, just a few people uh, in the neighborhood or, you know what I'm saying, in the area that went to church there. Henry, I don't even know what he preached on, but can I tell you, I made a commitment to him, and I remember standing there when he gave that altar call. My feet would lock and my hands would loosen. I couldn't move. Then I'd get my hands hung and my feet would move and they wouldn't move. Finally, when I broke loose and I made it down to that altar, as I was going down, I did hear the voice of the enemy. If you go down there, that man is going to tell everybody in this church 
that you were at his house drunk at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Thank God I tore it on down there anyhow. And he did. He graciously introduced me. He did tell my story, but something supernatural happened there as well. Not only was I born again in the Spirit, but I was born into an awesome family, and that family is the River of Life. And thank you all. <laughs> thank you all for that. Henry was sharing a scripture, and it really is my story. And I'm going to try to get to it. I think I used my Bible to hide too much stuff about being in prison. I can't stress enough how bound I was, and I can't stress enough how free I was when he set me free. There's no, I cannot create the words to tell you the misery and the shame and the guilt that I felt that on one hand, and then the hope and the peace that I felt on the next hand. It, it was supernaturally transforming, and it still is to this day. And I think of that story as Paul and Silas, as Henry was saying, it was about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains come off. Can I tell you, that's what happened to Scooter Perez on February 11th, 2000. <clears throat> Jesus came and he set me free. And I want to glorify and testify to that today. But can I just say on another note, all the stuff that I was in bondage to, I learned quick on that it wasn't just that that he, wanted, he was concerned about. He's concerned about your very heart. Those things are the manifestations of something deeper within. And it didn't take days, I'm talking about hours before he began to deal with me and mending some areas in my heart that I didn't even know were broken. And I've been 19 years almost in this walk with the Lord. He is still working on my heart. <laughs> And if anybody could testify to how I was, that transition, and how I am now, I've just got to tell you, I knew what was in here, and I knew what was in here. And I knew when he gave me a new heart and a new start that he changed all of that. And if anybody doesn't believe that Scooter Perez walks with the favor of the Lord on him, stand up, Cynthia. He gave me a new wife early on. There you go. <laughs> He gave me a new chance to be a father. My oldest son had sold the old scooter all the way up till he was seven years old. Daniel Perez is 17 years old, and he has never witnessed that. He has never been in a house where that has taken place. And he is, he's been an opportunity of fruit of a new life, as a new creation in Christ. So I just want to say to you, it's real, guys. It is absolutely real. And he is no respecter of person. What he did in my life, he could do in your life. And it doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be alcohol. I'm telling you, hurt, shame, pain, whatever your situation may be, he wants to come in and heal it. And heal it because he wants to glorify himself in your life. And he not only for this life, but for the life in eternity. I'm going to share one thing, and I don't want to get too far off on this. But uh, there's a song. Let me get a little water. Cynthia's been playing this song around the house a lot. And at first it kind of bothered me because I wasn't sure, you know, I was putting my theologian hat on and making sure all the words sounded properly. <clears throat> the song went like this. It was, he was talking about there was no shadow that you won't light up coming after me. There's no walls that you won't kick down, no lies that you won't tear down when you're coming after me. No mountain that you won't climb up. 
your overwhelming love, your never-ending love, there's nothing he won't do to capture us. And I got to thinking about that. If the Holy Spirit that is present in this room today is the same Holy Spirit that met with Scooter Perez in a cabin on the Sopchoppy River with all the activity that was going on with that, there is no mountain that he won't climb up. There is no lie that he won't tear down. And there's no wall that he won't kick in. He is here and he is real and he wants to do that in our lives. I want to close with this. I've had a vision a while back and and in this vision it was a football player and he kept running and he had his arm out. And somebody kept trying to tackle him. And I kept wondering what that was. I was saying, Lord, what's going on? Is some kind of attack on me and I need to figure out what this is. And I finally slowed down enough to start seeking the Lord and see what that was. And in the vision it was me. And the one that was chasing me was the Holy Spirit. There were still some hurts and some baggage and some bondage that I wanted to deal with, and I just wanted to keep him at arm's length. Are you with me? And as I would run, and, and I could do that. Those of us that are strong-willed and hard workers, we could trudge right on until we just get totally exhausted. And all he wants me to do is just stop and hand that football or whatever it is over to him and let him deal with it. And I'm telling you, he will do that. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.